0: Hey friends, um, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark where we're realizing more and more who Jesus is and how that's supposed to impact us personally in our lives. And and part of what we saw from last week is that as there was a raging storm, Jesus had power to command the storm to be still. And it's a reminder of not just how he stills our own hearts and our own souls, but at the same time, he is Lord over creation that even the storms can obey him. And now we come to a portion where the conflict that exists right now is spiritual powers of darkness and what Jesus does in confrontation with evil powers. And so with this in mind, we turn to our passage, which comes from uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And if you guys are able, can you please stand with me as I read God's word to you? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, one of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the man the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, that they were afraid and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their leader. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. But he did not permit it, but said to him Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Amen. Let's go to reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God is forever. Friends, please be seated. Hot take here. Hot take. If it is more troubling, if Satan demonic powers, whatever, evil forces, whatever you want to title it, if they do not exist. It is more troubling if Satan and demonic powers do not exist in this world. Because how then do you account for, for horrendous events like the war in Ukraine? How do you explain children being trafficked? How do you explain the mass shootings? without some element of spiritual powers of darkness at play. How do you acknowledge that? How do you reconcile these things? The thing is, the Bible says that we are in a cosmic spiritual warfare. He calls it, the Apostle Paul calls it powers and principalities that are strictly against God. And all of us are caught in the middle of this, whether we like it or not everyone is caught in the middle of this. That's why when you hear expressions like choosing between necessary evils, right? Well, greater of lesser evils. uh, Lesser of greater evils. The fact is, when you make your choice and decision, you still chose evil. And life is full of choosing between lesser evils. We are in a cosmic spiritual warfare. That's what the Bible says. And yet, as we're in this warfare, uh, how do we unpack this? There's influences at play in our lives. There's a lot to unpack here for us. And for here, as we look at the greatest extent of spiritual warfare, we're going to break down what it means for us personally and practically in three ways here. We're going to look at the possession. We're going to look at what does God really permit for us. And then last of all, what do we proclaim? Those three things, possession, permission, proclamation. Let's look at the first part here, possession. I know that anytime time someone talks about demonic forces and powers of evil, it sounds incredibly superstitious. But think about this here. One colleague friend of mine, another pastor, was telling me and observing that 90% of the world, 90% of the entire world believes in some existence, of God, and therefore believes in some spiritual powers at play, 90%, it's only the Bay Area particularly where in this dense population people seem to not believe in the existence of spirituality at all. It's very unique to the Bay Area, he says, and so either 90% of the world is wrong, or we can be open and sympathetic to the human condition that exists. See, this man, as uh, as Jesus uh, steps onto the other side of the sea, he's confronted automatically by a man, as it says, with an unclean spirit. This man, he lived among the tombs. And it says that he had hulk-like strength where people couldn't even bind him with shackles of iron. He just broke them apart. Night and day among the tombs, on the mountains, he would cry out, most likely with a demonic tone, You know, from living in Fremont, I noticed that a lot of people like streetcar racing and at 10 at night, you hear all the donuts going around and like all the screeching. And like, I get so annoyed because it like startles my, my kids. And I feel like such an old man, but I just want them to stop. I can't tune this out, but try tuning out demonic noises night and day. Okay, try tuning that out in your lives. No one wanted to go near this guy. But no one could ignore him. No one can ignore this guy. See, during this time, summoning the dead was widely practiced. And the fact that he lived among the tombs must mean that he was a devoted cult follower, a cult of the dead, a devoted follower of the cult of the dead. He invited the dark spirits to enter into his life. And so notice when Jesus asked the demon-possessed man, what is your name? His response in verse 9 is, My name is Legion, for we are many. Legion is a military term like a battalion or a squad, and a typical Roman legion consisted of 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers, which means this guy invited thousands of evil spirits into his life, unclean spirits, all just going into his life, Keep in mind here from before, the unclean spirit is connected with idolatry, idols, right? So imagine all the idols this guy is obeying and inviting the evil spirits to come in his life. You and I, we don't worry about demon possession. At least I want to affirm to you, you don't have to worry so much about that part. But where you and I need to think about is how many idols And influences, are are we being possessed, our powers and principalities are influencing our lives without us even noticing. That's what we got to think about. What kind of influences do we have that are being unchecked? You know, there exists an organization in a religion, organized religion in America called the Church of Satan. It's organized religion, has all its tax benefits and all that. And as as an organization, they don't believe in the existence of Satan, which is really ironic. Instead, they, uh, they don't believe in the existence of Satan, and in an interview, the founding member said, or one of the founding members said this, We are atheists. We don't believe in any kinds of gods. We believe in ourselves. Our highest holy day is our birthday. Man, it's got to make you think what he said. How many of us, when it comes to God, we say on Sunday, it's all, uh, Lord, it's all you, but every single day after, it's all on me. I've got this. I've got to figure it out. I know what I'm doing. I can fix the problems of my life. I, 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 I theist. The thing is, when you think about influences, I find it ironic that most people, uh, so many parents, they find so much outrage on the music and what it's like, you know, like like hip-hop or heavy metal rock and saying that stuff is demonic music, but they don't check things like Disney uh, songs, like Frozen. It's actually terrible because it has this rhyme and lyric and it says, you know, let it go and you, I don't care what anyone says about me and this freedom of expression, that's more demonic if you think about it. I, 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 I theists. Look, this, this is not meant to be about causing paranoia in our lives or to say that everything is evil, but for us to think about what is truly influencing us without us even checking or noticing. It's about making us aware that if we don't think about the thoughts and practices about our lives, what starts off as a practice easily turns into a habit and ultimately becomes something we adopt for ourselves. This is exactly why we have something like the prayer of confession, so that we examine our lives as part of our worship, because there are legions of idols influencing us all around. Look, look at the nature of legion. He 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 makes him powerful, right? He makes him incredibly powerful. No one can subdue him. Who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want to feel powerful in their lives? Yet the very thing that makes him feel powerful is the very thing that afflicts him. Because look at verse 5. He cuts himself with stones. You know what the clearest example of this looks like to me in the modern day? Our careers. Work is a good thing. It makes us feel useful, makes us feel powerful in a sense, like we have control, makes us feel good, that we could provide for our families. But when work becomes your identity, it can become your affliction. It can become your affliction. Because all those extra hours you put in, by the time we retire, all those extra hours you put in, overtime, whatever you call it, your jobs, your organization, whoever you work for, they will never remember your sacrifices. They never will. You know who will remember your sacrifices and the hours you logged away? Your family and your friends. They will remember. You got to think about it. What is influencing our lives? What is influencing us? This is about making sure that the things we possess don't become our possessors. What are we allowing? What are we permitting? Which brings us to the second point, permission. See, in this confrontation, Legion commands Jesus, right? The audacity of that. Legion commands Jesus in verse 7, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That's ironic. Don't inflict pain on me, even though I'm doing it to someone else, God. He even invokes the name of God against Jesus. And remember, these are thousands of unclean spirits against one person, Jesus. Yet they are outmatched. They're outmatched. It's like a pack of chihuahuas just barking and yapping at a lion. And finally, Jesus has enough of it. And he has enough with the demonic intimidation. So he says in verse 8, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of this man. What words of grace? Come out of this man. Just reflect on this. Everyone else, they didn't recognize that a man was there. They only saw this man's condition. People tried to chain this man, something you only do for animals. But Jesus is able to separate the afflicting afflicting conditions from humanity's image bearers, dearly loved by God. God sees the man. God sees the image bearer, not the condition. Everyone else, they see two things about us in our lives. They either see what's wrong with us, Or they, uh, on the other hand, they see what's awesome about us. What's wrong with us? They, They might see, look at some of the failures in our lives that we're not so proud of, that we have a lot of shame, we don't really talk about in the open. They see the problems of just maybe perhaps our social awkwardness at times. I don't know what the problems are, but they exist. We get insecure about those problems. But then the other thing that people can only see is how awesome we are how amazing we can be. And no matter what it is that people see about us, if they only see those two things, can you really say that they actually see you? Do they really see the man, the woman, dearly loved in the image of God? Jesus sees the man. That's the beauty of what he's saying here. The thing is here, as the demons beg Jesus not to cast them out of the country, right? In this conflict, they come off strong, and now they're begging Jesus, don't cast us out of the country, which is an odd request, right? Because it's not like these demons, they're, they're hanging out in Hawaii or something, somewhere tropic and somewhere enjoyable. Most likely, they don't want the eternal torment of God's judgment against them, and the demons are pleading for mercy, the demons are pleading for mercy which is incredibly strange one last request before their execution what do they request verse 12 send us out to the pigs let us enter them so he gave them permission and 2,000 pigs drowned into the sea that is a strange sequence I mean why even entertain the, the, the Satanic legion's uh, request to begin with. But right? everyone knows you don't, you, don't, uh, um, you don't bargain or negotiate with terrorists. Why does Jesus seem to do it here? Then there are the pigs. I mean, human life is more valuable than pigs, but for 2,000 of them to all just drown in the sea, it's a spectacle. And the fact that Jesus gave permission means that he had the power to prevent all this from happening. So what gives? What gives? Why does Jesus permit evil? You know, to be quite frank, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know why God exactly permits evil. Sure, I could say things like, God permits evils to make sure that even his glory at the end of all things is even greater, so he permits all this evil. Yeah, right, correct. Not really helpful, though. Not really helpful for our lives. God can easily put away so many of the evils. And sometimes his permission feels like divine, willful neglect. But maybe for, uh, for, for what God permits is to make us consider what we actually neglect for ourselves. What does it mean for us to be evil? What does it mean to be evil? I'm sure this is not on your list of existential questions you ask yourself before falling asleep at night, right? What does it mean to be evil? Demonic spirits, that's clearly what everyone considers to be evil, but what makes something evil? Just doing bad things. I mean, plenty of decent people, they've done bad things from time to time, but we don't call them evil, they mess up. That's what we say. Legion dehumanized the man from anyone recognizing that he was actually a man. And when you see the drowning of 2,000 pigs, you know what's going on there? Decreation. And so what is going on here, evil is the distortion of the good of what God created to be good, and it's a distortion of the good to the point where you cannot recognize the original goodness. That's what evil is. A distortion of what God has created to be good. And you cannot recognize the original goodness. Philosopher Simone Weil, she put it this way, that when evil, evil, when we are in in its power, is not felt as evil, but as a necessity. It's felt as a necessity. Everyone's trying... To do what's good. It's just their own version of what that good really looks like that perhaps makes us evil or influenced by its power. This year is my 10th anniversary, 10 year anniversary. And within year 10, right, uh, we just started doing marriage counseling for the first time. We just had our first session. Um, Everything's fine, if you're wondering. We've always wanted to do this. We just kept putting it off. We got so busy with the kids and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But now, you're 10, with all the transitions, we thought, it's finally time. So we had our first marriage counseling session. All the stars lined up for us. And at the very end of our session, which I thought was incredibly wonderful, I encourage it for everyone, no matter what year you're at, uh, but the thing is, at the end of this session, our, our counselor, he told us to, to hold hands together and just stare at one another, uh, another's eyes as he prays over us. And so we're like, it's, that's kind of strange, but okay, we'll do it. So we're, I'm holding Kathy's hand. She's staring at my eyes. And we're about to close it because he's going to pray for us. But he says, no, 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 no. You got to open your eyes. Stare at one another. So we're like staring at each other's eyes. And he starts praying for us. And, and as he's like, as he's praying over us, we're holding hands it like made me think of the altar of when I I, I first was getting married. And like, as I'm staring at her eyes, I start tearing up and, and she's like, why are you crying? I was like, you're crying. That's why. And you know, and I, I start tearing up and you know, he says, amen. And I'm sure it was a lovely prayer, but I have no idea what he said. And I realized at that moment, at that moment, I was able to see my wife because so much of the years, I looked at a a, a financial advisor or a property manager or a caretaker, and I looked at that, but for some reason in that moment, it reminded me to see my wife. Someone who inspires me. Someone who has been incredibly sacrificial in, in my life. Someone who cares. I saw her. And all these things that we call necessary evils, they make us lose sight of these things. You got to understand the, the amazing grace in which Jesus just says, I see the man, I see the woman, my image bears, dearly loved by God. The problem of the world is not that creation has become evil. But that we have distorted loves that distract, uh, that distort what God created to actually be good. God can only permit evil because he won't allow it to destroy what's actually good. This is essentially the message that God wants us to proclaim throughout our lives. Which brings us to the last point here proclamation. See, if there were gangs in your neighborhood <coughs> tagging up your buildings and your, your home, they spray paint obscene uh, things, they, they steal, they terrorize everything. And then finally, the gang is gone because someone was able to get rid of them. The whole city will rejoice. Everyone would breathe easy. There would be some sort of celebration, Right? Yet when the demon-possessed man, as they witness the healing of this demon-possessed man, he is clothed, he's in his right mind, no longer as a terror to society. You expect the celebration. You expect, expect gratitude. Instead, you get verse 15. They were afraid. And they began to beg Jesus, depart from this I want you to notice something here. He uses the word beg. The very same words used for legion of being cast out into the pigs. You know who else is found begging? The man who is finally healed. Verse 18, he begs to be with Jesus (laughs) to go with him. Everyone, gets this, uh, their, everyone else, they get their requests met except for this man. No one else wants Jesus around, but the healed man. He wants to be with Jesus. And yet Jesus says, you can't come with me. It's a little cold, right? A little harsh. What the man, uh, what Jesus wanted, Jesus wanted the man with him, but in a different way. He calls him to mission, right? Look at verse 19. So, so, uh, so go home, tell your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The mission of God is about reclaiming and restoring the good of his creation. Friends, now he gathers the church to send us out to do the exact same thing, to reclaim the good of what God has created. The only ways that our lives are kept free from cosmic powers and principalities, from influencing our lives, the only way to know that, uh, to keep that from happening, from controlling us, is when we are intentional about a life on mission. That's the only way. What that entails and what that looks like, that's a whole sermon in itself but i will say this a life that is lived for god and more importantly a life lived with god a life for god and a life lived with god that a life lived with god means restoring the goodness in all our endeavors whether that be parenting to imprint god's character more than any more than anything else above their success Work becomes a means to serve. Small talk becomes an open window for us to connect and be hospitable because Jesus is hospitable to us. When life becomes mission, it is incredibly difficult to become influenced by something else because you can only see it through God's angle. In the cosmic warfare, in the powers of evil, It's not like God is breaking a sweat here trying to win this warfare of what's going on. The demons, they need God's permission to do what they need to do. This is not about our good versus evil, but that our hearts have uh, disordered loves which distorts God's created order. And what God is doing is reordering our hearts. He's starting with his church, his people. He sees the man He sees the woman in his image. At my household, I'm the designated spider destroyer. Even if it's like those tiny little spiders, my name is invoked to smush them, give them what they deserve. But my son, he started something called a nature club at school where they advocate for nature, all things nature-y. And anytime I'm about to do my deed and smush the spiders, you know, He gets in my way and he says, hey, stop that. And he snags the spider away and he lets them free in the backyard. And I tell my kid, like, why are you doing this? They're just going to come back and they're going to start biting us again. Why don't you just smush them? And he tells me, what if I got a hammer and I smushed you with that? And I was like, hey, man, like, that's violent. He's like, I'm just saying, I'm giving you perspective. He lets them go free. And I realize, isn't this mercy? Isn't this what mercy is supposed to look like for us? The purpose of mercy, that he tells me these spiders, even though they might seem bad to me, they have so much good to actually offer for the rest of the nature, the rest of this world. I see that as the mercy of God. God recognizing that he's not going to crush us because he sees us. He sees the goodness of his image bearers. Or as Romans 5:8 puts it, but God chose His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God allowed and permitted the greatest of all evils, crucifying a perfect, righteous, innocent Son of God, for the weightiness of our sins, our evils. He was crushed for our sins in order to show us mercy. Nothing is more evil than this. And yet, who can permit such a thing? Who can permit such a thing? Only someone who is good enough to hold on to what's actually good. Jesus rose again to an indestructible life that he now shares with you because of the good that he holds on to you. He holds on to the good that's in you. He refuses to let go, even if it meant going to hell and back. And if you know this, and you know this to the bottom of your bones, then go and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come before you, a lot of times this idea of spiritual powers of darkness and evil, it doesn't hit us on a regular basis. We clock into our jobs, prepare all the meals, clean the house, but we become so neglectful of the fact that we're actually supposed to belong to you, not to this world, not to the evil powers, not to anything else. God, as you demonstrate your great love for us on the cross, may we be reminded that all cosmic powers of evil, they're not even your rivals. And Lord, for you to look at us and say, I see you and you are my image bearer. And I'm going to love you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to hold on to you no matter what. God, we thank you for this act of mercy. Would your spirit empower us to live for your mission, to reclaim the good and what you call us to? So work in our lives, Lord, what we cannot do, which is all things. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.